This is The Last Mile, powered by Segway Commercial. Join us as we discuss industry trends and our vision of the future of transportation. For more, be sure to check out b2b.segway.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Last Mile, a Segway commercial podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. And folks, thanks so much for joining us on another episode of the show. We really appreciate you listening along to some B2B thought leadership from the Segway, transportation, and micro-mobility worlds. As you're listening to today's conversation, make sure that you're going to our website, b2b.segway.com. Again, b 2 bsegwaycom For more information on some of the tech that we're going to be breaking down today, some of the methodologies we might explore on the podcast, but also just to get some other B2B Segway content. You can also subscribe to The Last Mile on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Just hit that subscribe button and you'll have a full catalog of previous conversations as well as notifications when we drop new ones. So on today's episode of the podcast, we're discussing a specific step in the last mile mobility ecosystem and one that hasn't always been present for micro mobility solutions over the last several years, but one that continues to grow in popularity and in need. And based on how it's being rolled out and its use cases, it's definitely growing in its application as well. We're going to be exploring the docking station today. The docking station, in general, has become a sought-after solution from business campuses, municipalities, and electric scooter companies looking to make deployments more scalable, safer, and better integrated into their communities. So today we're hoping to ask and answer, how has docking station technology improved as of late, and how is it being put to good use across the world? Will it be an essential piece of the micro-mobility puzzle, and what potential inhibitors might pose a challenge as these stations are rolled out? So we're hoping to answer these today with a conversation with our thought leader guest. I'm pleased to welcome Polina Mikhailova. She's co-founder of Knot, which is a company designing innovative solutions for micro-mobility specifically around charging stations and docking stations for electric scooters. Polina Mikhailova, great to have you on. How are you doing today? Hi, great. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's a real pleasure getting to chat today and source your thoughts on this, really break down the technologies, how you've put docking stations to use across the world, and understand what works, what doesn't, and how they're going to be part of the micromobility future. Uh, so let's start by just getting a lay of the land. I think most micromobility enthusiasts or even just casual consumers out there could say that they're familiar with uh, the the more decentralized scooter approach, which I guess I would summarize as scooters on the loose, you're parking them all over the place, they're leaning over, falling off the sidewalks into the streets. It's kind of the reality of uh, most of the micromobility launches that at least we saw to start uh, this trend over the last several years. Now, if we bring the docking station into the picture, how does a docking station differ just sort of in operation and use from that more Wild West approach? <laughs> the Wild West is a very good qualification for that. I mean, we've seen all these scooters all around. They're blocking sidewalks. Like, I don't know, parents with a stroller cannot go. Well, it's terrible. And I mean, docking stations create this organized and safe environment where users can leave their vehicles secure and lock them, which means you don't have to put your scooter on the sidewalk. You can actually find the real place uh, to, to fix it. And when you can physically lock your scooter, it's also very reassuring because you have this beep, the green light, the scooter is locked. 
And station when they lock scooters, it means only authorized users and operators can take them out. So it means it also reduces the vandalism impact because doctor scooters are also more vulnerable. And even with the virtual parking space, anyone can still move them and I don't know, throw them into the water and the, the vandalism effect is huge in some locations. Well, I can also add that dog-based system is not something completely new. It's not like the NASA engineering, of course, because, well, the micromobility industry has been using them for years. Just think of, I don't know, city bike in New York City or believe in Paris, Barclays bike in London. And I think the real success of these networks is also because they are there for many years already, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years for value. Uh, the real success is because dock has been used there and no vehicles were occupying sidewalks, blocking the way and of course with the real city engagement behind. Yeah, you're right. The technology isn't you know, rocket science. It isn't like we just invented docking stations and now they're finally entering the market. Uh, but I do think it's curious to bring up you know, that more Wild West approach, just scooters on the loose, uh, because that really was the standard rollout for that first wave or two of scooters. And I'm curious, uh, you know, based on how you saw these business, uh, excuse me, these businesses operate and um, the, you know, rollouts across the United States and Europe, why wasn't the docking station part of the initial business model the, the design or the ideation for a micromobility ecosystem when we saw that initial wave of electric scooters hit major urban centers. And how has this lack of uh, docking stations from the beginning impacted the rollout of micromobility solutions, in your opinion? Well, I, I really love this question because it can it can help us dig deeper and also what's the innovation and how the innovation path is developing. Uh, well, infrastructure has a very difficult go-to-market path. You need to get the city approval. You need to set up a local partnership with the landowners. You need to find the electricity access. It takes a lot of time, and the time the time is money. And while deploying the free floating, it was so much faster, so much easier. You don't, I don't know. You just bring 500, 1,000 scooters in in the location, and you're ready to go. You're ready to test. You're ready to earn money. And if you remember when the scooter madness started, we heard a lot of reactions like scooters are for kids, it's for hipsters, it will never become the city transport. Well, a lot of skepticism. And in a sense, this massive free-floating deployments also impacted positively the mobility industry that they proved that scooters can be considered as a real transportation mean. And only after that, user adopted them and started to use them for all, for all this last mile transportation. And now we can see when we pass this stage of the user adoption, we are starting to ask questions like the business model, the reliability of the business model, environmental questions, and the regulation. So now these are the key questions because the adaptation from the users is already set up. So I think the um, the scooter industry couldn't start with a free with the dock based systems. We needed to go through this wild west, as you called it before. Since that initial wave, have you seen uh, at least the traditional big players in the space the the limes, the Ubers, the birds? Uh, have they 
gotten on board the docking station train uh, or are the big players still a little slow to adoption? And I guess give us a why for either of those scenarios. Yeah, well, the the thing is when you want to, if we think, for example, about the EV charging stations, uh, this market has been regulated and uh, universalized, or universalized for, for many years now. In, in, in When we talk about these scooters or bikes, we still have a lot of differences, for example, in batteries, in how the batteries are, which batteries producers are using, how these batteries are charged. And also there is no one single standard on the market. For example, now we make our stations, we want to make them universal. We want to work with as many actors as possible. Some other players are trying to do so as well. And there is no universal model or standard for the market, not yet. And that's something that we would be really interested to launch together with all producers and the cities and the cities they're really slow and they would uh, on the ones on the one hand they don't want to pay for all these scooters on the streets they want still to have these micromobility solutions deployed for the citizens and on the other hand if they want to allow the installation of the infrastructure it need to be standard for all these players they authorized on the ground. So, for example, today city allowed three operators to play in the city. Okay, for instance, for Paris, in Paris, for instance, we have three major players. And if city today installs docking station, these three players need to be able to charge on these stations, which means they need to adapt. But if in three years, new operators will come, it will change everything. You need to set up new stations. Well, infrastructure is for long term. So you need when you install, when you allow the infrastructure, you need to be sure that it will last, I don't know, at least seven or 10 years. So it mean, I mean, big players, they need to discuss together to have one standard model for charging. And before that, they cannot have, each, each, each one will not have its own station. I think they could, but it wouldn't make much sense. And I feel like we would probably see more players in the space utilize docking stations and docking solutions if the business case was clearer uh, or if the vision for integration, like you said, at an infrastructure level, at a community level was more intentional. And I think to do that, um, you know, we have to break down sort of the the operational benefits of a docking station. So let's get into that now. Can you give us some context on how operating with a docking station impacts business operations for a micromobility solution, specifically compared to some of the other charging models we see out there, which would be either uh, battery swaps or some of the gig work style decentralized charging, where we have people going and picking up you know, 20, 30 scooters and charging them in their home. Uh, break down how operating that docking station compares to those others. Uh, what sort of effect does that have on a company running a micromobility solution? Sure. Well, for, for I think from the operational side, we can see three main advantages. It's less vandalism, less operational expenses, and more availability for, for the system. And well, less vandalism, of course, because the scooter is locked, it means longer lifespan. And when we look on the reducing operational cost, it's actually very, very appealing because today from 40 to 70% of expenses are represented by costs related to the charging operations, depending on, on the method you choose, well, you, you talked about them. 
Operators need to collect and charge batteries almost every day or every two days to make the network run. And it, it means it means just a lot of pain. I mean, just imagine you have no more juicers, no more huge warehouses, no more charging capacities to build at one space, no more trucks running around the city. I would say the docking stations are for lazy or for very smart operators who also wants to save a lot of time and energy. Just to give you an example, we have this network we run bulk, not, not as rarely operates networks. We have one like showcase in Strasbourg. It's our own network where we have own operations. And it's about 50 stations and few few, few hundred scooters, but we have operations like once a week. It's uncomparable with the with what other operators have just because scooters are docked and charged in the station, so you don't have to spend all this time by charging it. And the last argument I was saying it was the availability of the system because in some locations with a heavy rotations, I don't know, like in Latin America, for example, in Paris, scooters are empty by 6 p.m. It means operators need to quickly replace batteries on the go or just give up and let the scooter till the end of the day when they can replace the batteries. And when scooters are charged 24 hours a day, when they're not riding, it also increases the availability of the network and means you can also earn much more money. So in the end, if we look through the whole docking and dockless mathematics, you can save up to 40, 50, 60% on your operational expenses and also increase availability. That's a, that's a very huge difference. Now, can you compare uh, the effects of docking stations on the bottom line that you know 40 to 50% savings you just broke down uh, can you compare that with how uh, the cost of operating a more decentralized, uh, specifically gig work style charging operation works? Because those were the ones that really got popular when um, these electric scooters first hit the market. We saw a lot of them just having people basically gig work their way into picking up e-scooters, charging them at home or uh, at some kind of um, you know private location business or otherwise and uh, make some cash and then put them back out uh is that model sustainable at all like do you see any future for that model or do you imagine that as these continue to mature that we're going to go to a full docking station uh reality i definitely believe that the gig workers is not bringing that much positive impact on the industry especially in europe we've seen in many cities they didn't accept they don't accept these uh, juicers anymore. They want to have the proper operation from the uh, from the operators, just with the real team. We heard also some burned apartments in Paris or scooters charged with the diesel generators. So it's not, in any case, you also cannot take, you're putting the scooter on the ground, you want the user to use it, but the last person who touched the scooter was the person who doesn't have any attachment with the company. So it means on the responsibility side, it's also not not a way to do. I definitely believe that in any case, docking or not docking, the operations need to be centralized and need to be managed by the by the company. And if we look for the economics of that, the gig workers earn from five to, I don't know, it depends on the city, but from, let's say from three to $10 per scooter for to charge it, uh, while the price charging it on a docking station, it's less than three cents. 
So even on economical side, it just doesn't make any sense. Let's continue to try to make this business case uh, beyond just the operational efficiency or some of the um, cost savings that come from deploying a docking station at scale. What other benefits does a docking station offer shared scooter operators uh, and why? You know, what are some of those intersections that are maybe a little harder to see, but that still provide a lot of value? Can you connect those dots for us? Yeah, well, to the operational excellence, I would definitely add the fact that cities loves dogs because they limit the disrespectful ground occupation, of course. So you don't have all the scooters laying around. That's the first argument for, for scooters. But also it brings a lot of environmental benefits as you don't have to ride around the city to collect batteries or scooters. It reduces the overall environmental impact of the operations. Well, I According to some studies, it results in around 70% of CO2 emissions per passenger per kilometer or less for the dog-based compared to the dogless. So this is also a huge impact, which we don't see immediately. Uh, but even if we see on the total level of emissions, the free-floating services, they're compared to the ride-hailing services in level of emissions, while the dog-based systems are compared to the more to the electric bus. So it's much less. We, we, we can also bring some numbers later. And we should not also forget about the end users because, well, you might say, users are perfectly happy with the free-floating because they can just leave the scooter where they want. Well, Again, they wouldn't be that happy when the scooter blocks the sidewalk. And on the other hand, having the fixed spot where a user can find the scooter with some guarantee to start the ride is, is also great because dogs, they're mainly designed to set up in places like mobility hubs, railway stations, huge supermarkets, business campuses. And it means you have some fixed availability at this point and you can have your scooter over there. And I also truly believe users have been spoiled by free floating a little bit. And the whole door-to-door -door mobility concept is a bit dangerous, especially for the city streets and the environment. And whoever is riding scooter can also walk 300 meters. So block-to-block -block mobility might be much more interesting concept than than door to door because, well, we can set up stations in 300, 500 meters and people can walk to get the scooter. And in the end, operator can also decide to hybrid both and create mobility hubs with charging stations in key locations and also allowing users to get to the endpoint in the residential areas. So creating a more sustainable network overall, but still combining the advantages of both. Let's go ahead and bring Knot into the conversation now your company, obviously. Before we uh, intersect some of the ways that Knot has taken advantage of docking stations, I think your entrance into this industry is definitely worth highlighting real quick. So can you give us just that elevator pitch timeline of how you found yourself uh, coming up with the idea for not and then putting yourself in the micro mobility space because I know that I mean in the grand scheme of things uh, you're still a relatively new entrant to the field I mean I think you've only been in this space for maybe five to six years is that correct yeah that's correct but actually I think Bert has four years <laughs> ah there we go <laughs> you're ahead of the curve that's what I like to hear so that's terrible uh, it's very funny because well we started five years ago and 
when scooter sharing was more like a gig and i remember making my first pitches and spending two or three minutes from five just explaining why scooters are so cool for the urban mobility the main difference and why we're not in the place where berg Limar is that we've been always the first first our first model was based on the um, kick scooters so the regular mechanical scooters and i still believe in them because they're perfect for kids they're good for families you can still be much faster around the city you don't have the batteries to manage but people are lazy <laughs> so at some point we definitely turned back to the electric and we never left it and we've been always working with the um, We've been always true to the dog-based system and we wanted to bring a sustainable solution because that's what we believe in. And for me, uh, it was always obvious that well, dog will win over the over the free floating and we just survived all these five years of madness with our solution. And well, since then, since the five years, we've been working on this custom docking station with a challenge to make it truly universal and industrialized because there is no interest on producing five stations per month. The final goal is to launch 500 of them at least. And yeah, that's the, that's the, that's the story. And now we're like, we're around 20 persons, we engineering company. I, it's me and 19 engineers, basically <laughs> doing all the job from the software, hardware and electronics. So it's all custom design. Yeah, it's pretty curious how much this industry has really become normalized in those last four to five years, uh, going from having to really sell people on why scooters could have potential to now we're talking about you know how do we roll out scooters in a way that are long-term sustainable, that actually integrate with the communities they're a part of. And that conversation is so different. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, you know, docking stations are going to be key to that integration. So can you track the timeline then for how not came to be an industry leader in docking stations? Uh, can you break down some of the strategies you've taken to create such a large footprint and how you found success across the five countries that you're in now? Uh, for for us, I think the key to success was to create the public-private partnerships. We've always been saying, thinking cities first, and make we go to market for us was to set up stations or even always discussing with the cities but the problem with cities is that the time time to market is very long we have some installations after around two years of discussions of course any company can die in two years so the to go quicker in the market we were setting up the first locations on the private ground with access to the public like hotels parking lots all these guys they're, they're perfect partners for us because they have some ground anyone can access it and they have the electricity so we don't have to dig and make the whole these complicated connections for for the first models and when you have the first stations installed installed you can also engage deeper discussion with the city authorities and engage them in this game and then it will be the win-win and you can grow very quickly uh, another thing is that we always were thinking about the universal station with a lot of open possibilities. When I say universal, it means uh, we rarely operate uh, by ourselves. We often find customers who wants to start the operation or who already have some scooters and the application and we can bring the station to upgrade their existing business. Okay, means for example, tomorrow you have 
100 scooters, you have the app and you want to make it more sustainable or because cities threatening threatening you to kick you out of the market, you can just buy 10 stations, get the city agreement, install them. And through the API key, you connect our station to your backend and then the user still uses the same application and doesn't see any difference basically except of the stations. So that's that's the, also the key to, to make it as open as possible. So we never wanted to impose our application or our model. What we do, we, we build the station and that's our key and that's our key model. And for the market, uh, for the market approach, we've been very, um, it's been very holistic, I would say, because when we've been very first in this market, so we received a lot of contacts and calls from different municipalities and private clients. So that's why we also have installations, I mean, in Europe, in France, in Germany, in Spain, but also in Uzbekistan, which is completely crazy. Like we are based in Strasbourg, how you deliver stations to Uzbekistan. But we've been always open to deliver stations wherever we can. The fact that you focused on public-private sounds like it would be more common, but... Uh, you know, what's interesting, again, I guess, is that those initial waves of e-scooter rollouts definitely did not prioritize uh, putting the city at the table, too. Um, a lot of these were rolled out in a very decentralized way, just kind of, a, you know, uh, put them out to market, ask questions later and adapt and, you know, hope the cities just sort of make them work. And now we're finally at a place where these have been around enough and we've seen enough issues with a decentralized rollout that cities both see the value but also they want to have a seat at the table and there's conversations now around how to build that infrastructure in a way that is you know long term sustainable uh can you get a little deeper into those public private partnerships uh, both you know how that dynamic has evolved since e-scooters first hit the market going from you know we barely saw any to now they're kind of a standard and then what do those conversations look like today what are municipalities uh, needing out of the e-scooter companies and what are the companies wanting out of infrastructure and partnerships with the uh, public entities it changed a lot because in the beginning we've been talking with the public transport operators and with the public and showing what we can do and only i don't know only like some crazy municipalities who wanted to test out or they had some money to spend on the very quick uh, innovation project were following us and now we can see that a lot of cities around the europe especially are not authorizing the free floating businesses I can just give some examples. It's like Strasbourg, it's uh, Valencia in Spain, so some big cities as well. I think Barcelona just a few days ago also kicked out scooters, free-floating scooters off the streets. I heard about Copenhagen, Montreal, so many cities. They don't, don't want to have the free-floating businesses, and that gives us a key to success as well to go and attack them and to suggest them some new models, saying, okay, Free-floating didn't work for you, but we have something better. We have this dog-based model, and then they're happy to reconsider because they can also see the advantages of it. And they also, they've also they also seen that scooters are very popular for the end users and for the public, and then gives a great window of opportunities for us. And as those public-private conversations continue, are you seeing them lean more towards docking stations or docking stations coming up more in these conversations as an infrastructure solution, either from the private end or the public end? What are you seeing there? 
That's that's complicated question because well, as we don't operate in the free floating, we don't know what happens on the other end. <laughs> so that's the that's the very tricky question. I, I think all the cities we discussed they see the advantages of the docking and they definitely agree with us. But they also see the danger of setting up or a specific model of docks because again, as I was saying, the infrastructures will be there for seven to ten years and it's very complicated to get rid of it when you did all the connections to the ground and so on. So I'm for for us the the safe approach was working very well and when I what I call safe approach is to reach the um uh public entities which are not really public. I mean like for example parking spaces. They are often managed also by the city but it's not the same direction than mobility and they have access to the grounds. And they're much easier to connect and also to set up some infrastructure and you don't have to deal directly with the city. But when it's there, city already can see it's working. It's already, it has some stamp of positive stamp on it. So it's it's working very good after that. I mentioned that Knot has deployed across five countries. With those various countries, I'm sure comes a plethora of data that can inform your business decisions in a very proactive way as you expand and refine your rollout in those various communities. And using that market research and feedback from rollouts across the globe, what are some of the main learning lessons or changes that you've had to make to your docking station to improve designs or integrations uh, and you know what uh what are some of the effects of those learning lessons over the years yeah it's it's a very nice question is well sure well now we have already the fifth iteration of the station i mean it's been four which now already not produced and we had to change a lot of things between these iterations. They've been also 4.5 and 4.6 and over. And every, I would say, 12 to 15 months, we're releasing a new generation of the station to be always ahead. Increasing, of course, reliability, the time of response, um, with the API connections. Uh, I would say, just for some interesting examples, uh, our first models were also with the solar panels. And you would say, what a nice idea that would be very cool to have solar panels, panel charged to docking stations. But in the reality, when you say solar panel, you also have batteries inside the station. And so you have the same problem that the free floating does. You need to change these batteries, not the same frequency, but at least every three or four days, you need to go back and change these batteries to make the, uh, to make the station work. Because, well, the solar energy is not enough to charge all the squares all the time. I mean, maybe in some, sunny spaces, a sunny place in Spain, it would work. And it never worked in North of France. So this is one of the things we cut out. Then we also updated the design to also be here more adapted to the city needs. We started with the, uh, with the stations made of steel. And we've seen that the steel is not the best decision for the urban environment. Now we're all making it from the aluminium, which is more, well, also nicer in exploitation and has we see less impact from the weather conditions. So all these little changes, adding also some, one of the last uh, things we added because working with cities, they always ask us to, if there's a possibility to integrate the scooter sharing with the transportation system in the city, 
even if they're not paying for the system, they still ask for that. And we added this NFC and RFID reader on the station. So now some authorized users can also unlock the scooter just using the RFID card, which they use for the public buses, for example. So that was one of the last updates. And of course, we have to intersect Segway with this conversation even just a little bit. I know that the Segway Max Pro uh, has partnered with Knot to make sure that that scooter can fit into and take advantage of uh, Knot stocking stations. Can you break down that partnership with Segway and uh, specifically from the technology side, how the Max Pro has integrated with the Knot docking station and what are some learning lessons we can take away from uh, you know bridging those two pieces of hardware? Great. Well, for before even the technical part, I would say that Segway has an amazing team in Europe and with a very human approach, reactivity and possibility to have a real person at the end of the line with a great support. It gave us also a possibility to start small uh, as well, while taking less risk in deployment because we never raised a huge amount of money. We always were developing by using our own capabilities. That's for the human part. And then from the technical part, the quality price ratio of Max series is highly competitive. So the electromedical integration was uh, has been very well executed. So we tried different models of scooters. We disassembled them all. We look how we can make this integration because to be locked and charged on the station, you need to add this kind of connector sleeve on a scooter. And depending on the scooter, it can be it can be easy or not. And after trying different models, well, the Max Pro is the fastest one for us at least. It takes less than 10 minutes to integrate the sleeve, and so it goes very quick. And it's also very safe to do. We discussed a lot with the technical teams of Segway in China. Send them the connector also to for the integration and well for the bigger integrations when we have like big quantities to launch. We hope we can do it directly on the factory that's what i hope at least uh and for me personally i really love max pro the 2.2 because with all the advantages of the scooter design for the sharing it's not too heavy and i think the many girls will support me in that when it's too heavy it's less inclusive and this model is still not too heavy and very easy to handle so uh, i will keep pushing that for sure <laughs> And taking this partnership and expanding it to a slightly more general level, or I guess uh, trying to glean some lessons from these kinds of partnerships, what value does partnering with a docking station bring to a micromobility company like Segway and their solutions? And also flip side, how does partnering with a micromobility company provide value for docking stations and not just sort of at the level of, well, you know, clearly there's a a mutual beneficial uh, relationship here because of the two businesses and their interests. Um, But, you know, more at a higher level, how this shapes the future of the businesses and their rollouts, their technology and their ability to be innovative and, uh, you know, stay on top of some of the ways that this industry is evolving. Well, such partnership for both parts is powerful because um, it includes it, it's docking station cannot exist without the scooter. A scooter cannot well scooter need to be docked for some reasons we explored before. That means it creates the connection of them creates a very powerful powerful business opportunity because all the supply chain 
will be there and all the supply chains are required to launch a profitable micromobility networks. Well, today it's still an open bar, no universal connector, no universal station, no universal battery. And the first producer of the scooter often or, or the docks who will take the space will win. So it's the same for both. That's why the partnership is, I think it's crucial. Uh, and we can see today that a lot of cities, a lot of spaces didn't allow the deployments of scooter sharing in free floating because of these issues, issues we mentioned before. So it creates a huge opportunity, a huge market potential for both actors. So in any case, I mean, we, we cannot exist without the scooters for sure, but the docking station for scooter producers is something that needs to be added into the catalog to get this market value, which is now is, is, um, is not taken by, by anyone. All right, Polina, we're just about done with our conversation. Uh, let's go ahead and peer into the crystal ball a little bit and look ahead <laughs> at uh, the future of micromobility. So with everything we've taken into account today from infrastructure challenges to uh, you know changes in technology, business partnerships, uh, and the continued solidification of the docking station as a solution, what would you say the future of that last mile looks like? in the micromobility industry and what factors will continue to have uh, a shaping effect on rollouts, public-private partnerships, etc. Well, I think there will be a few trends in the next year. Well, of course, infrastructure is a king and, well, I wouldn't say the opposite, of course, but I think infrastructure, it's, it's like for the EV cars, it's like it's the same for the bikes, it's the same for the scooters. We need to set up more infrastructure projects because infrastructure creates this link with the cities. And I also believe in public engagement because today public sector invests in buses and metros, but for some reason they decided that micromobility is out of their scope um, for some moment. But with the pandemics, especially, we've seen again we've seen again the importance of that, and we we can see why public need to reinvest and again be back on this space of micromobility. And I also believe a lot in local business owners. So it, it will have a lot of success. It means you live, okay, let's take a very nice location like Lago di Como in Italy. You know the city, you know everyone, you know where to set up stations, you know how to go quickly and deploy your business faster and how to make it profitable. And it means knowing this business will also gives you some, give you some cards and it will make it easier for you and will will make your business just brilliant because big actors they cannot take this very small local cities quick and if they do they will not have this human approach and we will lose it in in the end and on that note i think we'll go ahead and wrap up our podcast for the day thank you so much polina mikhailova co-founder of not for joining us and giving us your insights on how docking stations are integrating themselves into the micromobility world their use case and business case, their timeline to market, and what we see for the future as well. It's really been a pleasure today. Again, we've chatted with Polina Mikhailova, co-founder of Knot, which is a company designing innovative solutions for micromobility around charging stations and docking stations for electric scooters. And uh, Polina, if folks want to find out more about Knot, how can they do so? Oh, well, you just go on the internet and you type knot.city, K-N-O-T dot c-i-t-y and that's it <laughs> and you connect with me i'm always available on linkedin happy to chat 
and answer all your questions. Fantastic. Polina, thanks again. It's really been a pleasure. Thank you, Daniel. And thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of The Last Mile, a Segway commercial podcast. If you like what you heard and want to listen to previous episodes, make sure that you're heading to our website, b2b.segway.com. Again, b2b.segway.com for more episodes of the show, more Segway Thought Leadership, and, of course, more information on our solutions and services and our partnerships. You can also subscribe to The Last Mile on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Till next time.